My scripture this morning is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles on page 112. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods the Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. It's important to point out that this is definitely written by the Gospel of Luke writer. Why, you might ask? Well, the church, for some reason, has decided that we have to argue these points, but there's really no argument. In the Gospel of Luke, it starts off with, Hey, Theophilus, I'm writing you this book. It's about Jesus. You know, this guy that everybody's talking about. And he goes on to talk about how Theophilus, to Theophilus about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So when he starts off the book of Acts, he says, Hey, Theophilus, you remember that guy I was telling you about? Now here's what happens after. And he tells the Acts of the Apostles. And he tells the rest of the story. He spends a lot of time on Paul. And the funny thing is, if you look at Paul's journey in his letters, and you put it right next to Acts, the stories don't always match. Does that sound kind of familiar? Like you saw one football game and a friend of yours saw another and it, and it didn't really matter what took place, but at the end, the crucial parts of the story was, we won. This story starts off with the ascension of Jesus. It provides a transition in the drama of Jesus. It closes his earthly mission and opens a new mission for the disciples, which is just getting ready to begin. One mission is over, and another is at the starting line. The passage 
answers the question that early Christians have voiced. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, well, then where is he? Well, he's right there, according to them. Luke supplies part of the answer. An answer that the church proclaims in the Eucharistic celebration. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And with this lesson, we can add, Christ will come again. With the ascension, Christ leaves the disciples to rejoin this mysterious Godhead, but with the promise that he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is important. Now, I, I kind of love this story in the way that it goes into the description of how it takes place. It's, it's interesting, and it's also important to point out that Luke alludes to this gospel and as, as if it's not really the ending of the story. It's chapter 2. After giving instruction, he said the things that they already knew, had heard, they were reminded of, they should be explained. Now let's think about this for a second. What's the question that they're all asking after Jesus' death and resurrection? Is this it? Is this the moment that we've all been waiting for? Is this the time that you are going to take over Israel and we are going to become triumphant? Does this mean that we no longer have to bow to the Roman Empire? This is it. Oh my goodness, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. And he says, oh, whoa, 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 wait. Not right now. What? Can you all just hear the exasperation in their voice? You, you can almost hear it like, you have got to be kidding me. You, you, you can hear it by the way that, the, that Luke is writing it in the sense of as they watch Jesus float into the sky on a cloud, they're looking up to the heavens. And you can see it, right? Like their jaw has dropped and they're all kind of looking at each other going, okay, now what? And then two men in white show up going, what are you guys doing looking up there? Why are you looking at things that are up in the heavens? You should be focusing what direction? Forward. Why should you be focusing in on the things of God that God has already given to you? You should be doing the work of the ministry that Jesus has put upon your heart. And they're going, well, we don't know what that means. They're like, and, and you, could, you could almost... I, can, I think I can. And maybe it's just because in my brain, I'm mostly sarcastic. So I can hear it in the back of my brain where the men in white are going, yeah, I mean, you just hung out with him for three years. Uh, you watched him literally die and raise from the grave. Um, he told you multiple times what you're supposed to do. I mean, I guess... I guess if you need a book, we could create it. We'll call it the Acts of the Apostles. But in reality, since you don't know how to look 
forward. Let's help you with this. You could hear this. And there's, there's a fear, right? There's a, a fear of what's yet to come. What's going to happen? How many of you remember? Well, let's not do that because that gets us in all in trouble. There was a time in 1999 that the world was scared out of its mind. The world was literally going to end. And it wasn't just the church saying it. Finances, finance people were saying it. Banks were saying it. What do we do when the world clock stops? We didn't program it to go to the year 2000. What? All of a sudden, everybody is freaking out. The world is going to shut down. And we have the phrase, Y2K. The world was going to end in year 2000. Did that mean that I got that evening off from youth ministry? No. That meant that we still had to have the end of the year lock-in of 1999. Did that mean that it would have mattered? No, because youth ministry didn't need to worry about computers in the year 1999. So we still had to do it in the mindset of, well, the world might end, but we're still going to have a youth program that evening. Every single generation, folks, says the world is going to end at some point or another. Did you know, anthropologically, this is true? Something happens, and the world is going to end. For some of you, you remember, eh, none of you are this old. I'm, I'm digging deep here. None of you remember the Cuban Missile Crisis at all. Where you had to do drills in the hallway, the tuck and cover, like that's going to save you from a nuclear explosion. That's when we started building bunkers out of Acme bricks with ventilation coming out of the top because radiation would not come through the vents. They looked like glorified storm shelters. Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Black Death. Well, the world really was dying at the time. But the church made it to something completely different. It's amazing to me, if you look at it anthropologically all the way throughout time, everybody is fascinated with the end of times. And here, here's your moment. Jesus himself says, why would you worry about that? This departing Jesus says, maybe you should stop worrying about the end of times. Take your eyes off the clock and live life today. It's not about the time, but about the progress that the Spirit will initiate through us. That is our new mission. So we don't look backwards or upwards, but forwards. There's this struggle with humanity and the omnipotence of time. I, I don't know if we all recognize that 
you know, time is inevitable. It's inescapable. I, I don't wish any human being to be immortal in any way, shape, or form. We recognize that all of us at some point or another are going to pass. And in some way and somehow there is this idea that we all have to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? We may feel powerless in the face of new events. And we also look to the heavens. And we look around. And yet, and yet, there are new opportunities and situations in our personal and our public lives that crises and threats to our lives and happiness. And at the end of the day, you might not know that you might be one of those men in white inspiring somebody to do the work of ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. Some of you might not know that in the Christian church, we are a lay-led movement. That means our deacons and our elders uh, have an extremely important role in our church. That means that when we ask people to do things, we ask them to do it out of a sense of call, not a sense of obligation. But let's be honest about this. This passage of scripture is a lot about leadership development. So not that this is a rabbit trail. It does participate in this discussion, however. Let's say, for example, you have this moment. And in, in the aspect of moving forward, you notice that a crepe myrtle, for example, might need to be trimmed. So you come, uh, and I'm, I'm going to use Johnny because he's safe and he knows I only use him if it's a part of the discussion. So you go to Johnny and you say, Johnny, I would love... I just feel the presence of God telling me to trim the crepe myrtle. Johnny will say, here are the clippers. Don't knock yourself out because we'd have to check out the liability policy. But do it to it. So you go outside and you clip that crepe myrtle and you make it look beautiful and it, it sings. Angels' voices come out of the heavens because you did this from the bottom of your heart and that crepe myrtle looks amazing. You walk away and it grows and it's beautiful and the flowers come out and everybody's so happy and you felt like it was great. And then there's next year. Oh, hey, you did such a good job with that crepe myrtle last year. Do you think you'd want to do it again well you know I, I really felt called to do it last year moving forward it was something that you know Josh's sermon inspired me to do and I just felt like that was something I wanted to do well we really really need could use somebody to do that well I guess <laughs> I guess I could do it if that's something that you needed me to do Year three. Hey, listen. You are now a crepe myrtle trimming expert. You have just made our crepe myrtles look absolutely amazing. And we would really like it if you would do it again. 
Fine. I will trim your crepe myrtles. And you can hear it, right? Stupid crepe myrtle. It just and, and you hear the branches hitting the ground as hard as they possibly can. And they leave them on the ground. And they drive off. And they go like three blocks and they're like, no, someone's going to say something about me leaving the branches on the ground. And so that person turns around and comes back, picks up the branches, takes them away. Twenty years later, and now they cannot move the clippers. They are still clipping the crepe myrtles. Why do we do that? Why? Because in an aspect of this, Sometimes we have a tendency to look upwards and not forwards around the people in your room. Sometimes we don't see faces that might have the ability to do something that we never thought of asking them before. Sometimes we're not really good at asking if anybody would be willing to do something that would make them uncomfortable. Like being filled with the Holy Spirit and guiding them into some new direction that God has called them to. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Christ is the Lord of time. Our mission is to live life in the Spirit's power, bearing witness to God's faithfulness and kingdom. And God will unlock the opportunities for that faith, that hope, and that love within these seemingly difficult changes. And whatever changes may occur in history, whatever new situations may arise in the congregation or our personal lives, we are called to be faithful to what remains the gospel that points to renewal and preparation for God's new heaven and earth. As we look forward, not into the distance. In the name of the Creator, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.